want to do what you got to do it. So I sing country music. Ha ha! Let me warm up a little more. <laughs> Maybe this will bring back a few memories. I'll catch it about midway through. Anybody who's anybody knows who Jimmy Buffett is. Goes a little like this. Uh-uh. I blew out my flip-flop. Stepped on a pop-top. Cut my heel, had to cruise on back home. But there's booze in the blender. And soon it will render. That frozen concoction, it helps me hang on. Wasted away again a Margaritaville. Searching for my lost shaker of salt. Some people claim that there's a rocky to blame. But I know it's old Stone Cold's fault. Dirty dog, I hear you calling. I think it's time for the show. The sleep hold has got me confused, but maybe here we go. Mr. Hills and the dog from Maine, event status radio. They're recording again. <laughs> Bagels and biceps all over my screen. What are we supposed to do? Recorded live from the cable companies. Recorded live in Minnesota. There are two things we do. Chew bubblegum and talk professional wrestling. And we're all out of bubblegum. I am the Dirty Dog Darcy. This is Main Event Status Radio. On today's podcast, we're talking pay-per-views. What about them, you ask? We're talking WWE pay-per-views, WCW pay-per-views, hell, even ECW pay-per-views. We're going to talk the production stuff and everything all together that is pay-per-views on the wwe network and who's here to talk about the pay-per-views with me on the podcast he is the man of the hour he is the man with the power he is the hit maker the record breaker he's got style and grace and a pretty face he'll make my he make my back crack my liver quiver and my knees freeze he's one half of the mcmoney brothers he is Jesse Addison. Jesse, how's it going? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. You seem pretty happy when I was uh, going on about how you are the hit maker and the record breaker. <laughs> I, I, I can't deny it. It's true. It's true. Eric, you only speak the truth. So just for the f- listeners of Main Event Status Radio can know who Jesse Addison is, how did we meet? I believe it was... Uh, Peterson's class back in uh, third grade or so, wasn't it? I th- can't remember if it was either second or third grade, but I know it was right around, right around there. Yeah, I remember uh, Marcus and uh, <laughs> all of our old old uh, friends from that time. <laughs> yep. Okay, then, how did you become a prof- professional wrestling fan? Well, I uh, 
I've always kind of enjoyed it, but honestly, you were uh, you really got me a lot deeper into it. To be honest, I, I gotta I got to give you props. So thank you. What was the peak of your fandom? Oh, I would probably have to say uh, late nineties, uh, early two thousands. So in the attitude era. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I mean. It, who wasn't a huge fan in the Attitude Era, Fair to be enough. honest? Yeah. Uh, what was what was your thoughts initially when the WWE Network came out, and what are your thoughts on the network nowadays? Um, my my opinion hasn't really uh, changed a whole lot of it. Uh, back when they were talking about releasing it, and when they finally did, um, I thought it was a, a it was a great thing. They had uh, you know the fact that for only ten bucks a month. I mean, the, originally they were charging fifty, sixty dollars for these pay-per-views, and now it's ten dollars a month, and you get all this other additional stuff. It's it's still a great deal. I I just personally thought they were going to have a lot more um, original programming. They've gotten a lot better since they started because they didn't have a whole lot at first, but uh, they have added a lot more stuff. But um, I'm just excited to see what else for the, their uh, original program that they come out with. And I remember since February of 2014, yeah, when it came out, that you and I have been messaging each other on Facebook, on Twitter, you know, texting each other. That you decided that you wanted to watch every WWE, WCW, and ECW pay-per-view in chronological order, starting mm-hmm. at Re- Starcade 1983. Mm-hmm. What's the what's the reasoning behind all that madness? I. I... I, <laughs> I guess just to say that I can do it and that I've done it. I know. Uh, I, I, I'm also just kind of a completionist. I like to do. Uh, you know, I like to um, say I've. You know, I like to be that one super fan that says, "Yeah, you know, I've seen them all. I've I followed every single storyline for the last, you know, twenty, thirty years." And you know, it just kind of gave me something to to do and look forward to and to be able to utilize the network more. To be honest, so. And one thing I do a lot on the podcast, and you can uh, see it through the video scope, <laughs> is I like to open up a Dusty Rhodes inspired mill yellow. And for about a year or so on the podcast, I've been mentioning a lot about, about stories about you, that of us back in 2001. And those stories will be rehashed so they can <laughs> hear that other side of the story, but in memory of. Dusty Rhodes, and because you are the main event of this podcast, I have to open up my main event status, Dusty Rhodes inspired Mel Yellow. So we might as well get into the podcast. Uh, we were texting some last night. We, you rewatched a few matches from NWA Starcade 83. Mm-hmm. Any thoughts and memories of the pay-per-view and the, I guess the production value that NWA had back in 83? Sure. Um, actually, you know, as far as production value goes, it was 83. So, you know, you got to <laughs> take it as it is because, you know, they only had so much in 83. But uh, the production for that time was decent. Um, it wasn't, you know, anything real fantastic. But uh, obviously compared to nowadays, it's, it, you know. <laughs> but um, I... There's a few matches from that that stood out, and uh, one being the uh, the dog collar match with uh, Valentine and Piper, um, and the brutality that you saw in that match. Um, you know, especially being in '83 um, at that time, 
you know, you didn't see, there's a lot of things that they did that you just didn't see at that in the, in, in those days. And the same with the, uh, Harley Race and Ric Flair match in the cage. Um, uh, yeah, before we talked about the cage match, we were talking off air and you were mentioning that in the doll collar match, they were like wrapping the chain around the post and all that. Mm-hmm. So it, I know uh, we were kind of uh, sending screen caps to, of, from Starkid 83 last night and and there's a backstage interview in the locker room, I assume the faces locker room were with Tony Schiavone and Piper came in and was showing off his bloody ear and all that, like, okay, I cannot watch or listen to Piper's interview because a bloody ear isn't my thing. But talk about more about that brutality from Valentine versus Piper for the, I think, the U.S. title, if I remember correctly, for that match. Um, yeah, I, I, I think so. I'm honestly not 100% sure. It doesn't, that, well, the title really doesn't matter, but it was a, yeah. <laughs> right, just right. talk about that brutality. It's, yeah, it wasn't it wasn't the title that made that match by any means. Um, <laughs> it was uh, it, it was it was great. I mean, obviously both both guys, like I said, back in '83, you didn't see that they they were both just beaten and battered and bloodied. And uh, you know, like like there like we you mentioned a minute ago, there was a moment where um, you know they they wrapped the the chain around the the ring post and started choking choking each other out and. You know, you you just don't see. I mean, Daniel Bryan got. I believe Daniel Bryan got fired uh, back in. Oh, I don't, I don't know, two thousand ten or eleven or something. Um, for for choking out and choking out Justin Roberts with his tie. Yeah. 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 So that and, stuff and, isn't. That stuff is frowned upon nowadays. Right. Exactly. So. Um, yeah, it's. It, it, they, they did. They did things that. I mean, and it was pay per view. I get well. <laughs> so I, I just. I don't know. I that one really set the tone for more, um, you know, hardcore style stuff to come in the future. In, in my opinion, I thought that that match there really, you know, started a lot of that stuff. And I know, yeah, we were about to get to the the NWA World Title match with Harley Race and Ric Flair when Ric Flair won his second World Title, and I know we were talking off fair that. About the finish of that match, where you don't see like stuff like that happen nowadays. Nowadays, guys had to have finishers, and it has to be hit three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten times. Yes, I can count up to ten. And for that title match in the cage, Flair not use a finishing maneuver. You want to talk about the talk about that match in the ending? Yeah, he kind of came off. Uh, I believe he came off the the middle rope or something, and into like a a crossbody or something and, and got the three count, which nowadays, I mean, if, if a finisher isn't used, it's usually, you know, a schoolboy roll up or something to, to end a match or something like that. Or, or, you know, they grab the ropes or, you know, um, for leverage, you know, but, uh, yeah, it, back in those days, I mean, unless you were Hogan dropping the leg and getting the three count on every match or whatever, um, a lot of the finishers back then, or a lot of the finishes to matches, um, were they, they kind of came out of nowhere. They, they kind of shocked you and kind of surprised you. I didn't expect uh, Race to just lose like that. I mean, but I'm I've been so used to my '90s and 2000 uh, era of wrestling that you know. Um, but back in 1983, uh, it, it was just I don't know. I I, I appreciate those uh, endings back in those days. Um, for those matches because I don't know, it just, it just felt more real 
You know what I mean? Yeah. And on the show, Bob Cuddle and Gordon Sully were the commentators. <laughs> and I hear, whenever I listen to Jim Ross's podcast, I hear Jim, JR, talk a lot about those two guys, and he has holds them in high praise. I guess, especially with, you know, since you rewatched those two matches from Starcade 83, any thoughts or memories of those two as announcers from that show or anywhere else? I thought that, uh, <laughs> to be honest, I thought those two were some of the. Uh, probably the two best announcers, well, besides Jim Ross when he came in, but that that NWA or WCW had most of their uh, most most of the time that they were on on air. Um, to be honest, I, I love Gordon Soley. To be honest, he's he is one of my favorites. And one thing about Star Kid for the first few years was running on Thanksgiving night until I think '87 when McMahon brought or created Survivor Series to as competition to have it on Thanksgiving. What's your thoughts on Star Kid running on Thanksgiving for the first few nights, then pushing it to right around Christmas for until WWE went out of business? Um, well, you know, I I think that uh, I think I, I don't know. I think they were just trying to do something new and unique. They probably figured, you know, oh, you know, we're gonna try to get people to watch this scene at, you know, it's Thanksgiving, most people don't work. I, I understand their marketing strategy, but obviously it must not have worked because, you know, they stopped doing that after a while. I believe the first couple Survivor Series um, tried doing that too. We're on Thanksgiving, yeah, then moved it yeah. to Thanksgiving Eve. I don't uh, I, I, you know, I listen to a lot of podcasts and I listen to Jim Cornette's podcast, the Jim Cornette mm-hmm. Experience, and he, he talks a lot, or once in a while he talks about Back in the day, in the 70s, 80s, that paper, or wrestling shows used to run on holidays, you know, Thanksgiving, Christmas, yep. and especially since he, you know, managed a lot in Jim Crockett promotions and NWA, that Starcade was huge because, like, like you said, a lot of people at, at that time didn't go to, you know, di- you know, had, you know, didn't go to drive many miles away or fly to go see family. They just stayed, you know, their households and. <laughs> and they would go to wrestling shows. So, and NWA thought what, Jim Crockett promotions thought, why not do a show? Um, you know, people already watching or coming anyway. Why not do a show and have you know closed circuited and pay per view elsewhere out? And that's where it all started. And now, you know, with football, you would be able to help speak to hell a lot better than I do since I live in a wrestling <laughs> bubble. But you know, now it's like football taken. Pro, pro wrestling's spot on running on pay-per-views. Yeah, yeah. It, um, or that's, holidays. I mean, my bad. Yeah, sure. Um, no, they, yeah. Football really kind of has well any sport but wrestling, honestly. Um, depending on what it is and what time of year, has really kind of you know put uh, wrestling on the back burner and like, okay, we're all gonna watch, you know football for Thanksgiving now, we're all going to watch, uh, um, you know, NCAA in March and all, you know, I, I don't know, um, and that, that, being a big wrestling fan, that kind of irritates me, I kind of wish they could, that, you know, because they, they, they do, like, okay, I once, uh, uh, read a thing, uh, about Vince, uh, talking about how, um, you know, he planned WrestleMania to be right around the very first of, you know, April or so, um, give or take a few days, because he wanted to get away from the, 
the NCAA stuff in March, and he wanted to um, uh, be before opening day for the, uh, Major League Baseball, which, because right around April 1st, there is no other competition for those, um, you know, and it, it, it just kind of, in my opinion, it does kind of suck that he, um, all fans, anyone in the wrestling business has to um, be second to anything else in, in the sports world. If yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, talk about somebody that isn't second to anybody else. Is you know we were talking about NWA, Jim Crockett Promotions, WCW. Let's talk about Ric Flair. That I, yeah, I sent you the outline last night. You're like, what a fool are you? Since you didn't have any bullet points about a nature boy <laughs> himself, Ric Flair, and you know I, I you know I've been trying to think about some of the you know my favorite Ric Flair matches, and I you know I bought. Star K ninety three on VHS on Amazon mm-hmm. a couple years well more than a couple years back, like five years back, just because I wanted to see Flair versus Vader and I loved seeing, you know, different video pa- different video cuts in the during the show, seeing like Vader in his you know, ribeye jacket uh, steakhouse jacket and sweatpants with Harley Harley Race, you know you know, punching uh, heart race's hands and all that and I think in that match too he was Vader was going to go up to, I think, to do a moonsault or his Vader, Vader splash, and something happened, and Flair schoolboyed him and got the three count and won the WCW title again. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess that's one of my favorite matches. I love seeing Flair and Michaels from WrestleMania 24 for Flair's quote-unquote retirement match from mm-hmm. the WWE. Now, what are... Oh, yeah, then, yeah, like I mentioned you off here, that we're going through some 96 matches, you know, nitros and all that, and pay-per-views, and on a couple nitros, Flair and Arn Anderson are taken up against, like, American Males, and at the Great American Bash against Kevin Green and Steve McMichael, and how I loved the tag team of Arn Anderson and Ric Flair, and I am sad those two guys never had a pay-per-view strain of uh, main events of those two teaming up, you know, taking on Steven Luger or the Steiners for the tag team titles because I thought those two teaming up were absolutely great. Uh, what are some of your flair memories and favorite matches? Oh man, you know, um, I am such a uh, like like we were talking before we started this. Uh, you know, I'm such a big flair fanboy with um, just about anything he's done. Um, you know, for example, it didn't matter who he was with, uh, whether it was you know Terry Funk to. Um, Dusty Rhodes to you know Sting any any of them Hogan you know no matter who he was in the ring with he was money he delivered and um, the the buildup was always good for just about every single uh, um, feud that he had he uh, I I can't <laughs> to, to, <laughs> the, the 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 length of his career was so long and to and for me to pinpoint. Uh, one specific feud or anything, you know, because I, I really appreciated um, everything that he's done with just about anyone in the ring, um, you know, throughout the 30, well, probably now 40 years he's been around. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, but like I said, he, he was able to do anything with anyone. When Terry Funk, when he was doing uh, his feud as Terry Funk, Terry Funk was, I believe, was uh, getting inducted into... Uh, NWA's Hall of Fame or something like that, and because at that time Terry Funk was getting pretty old still, and um, you know that was uh, I believe I early eight, '90s. I think '89 ish. 
Okay, so yeah, it was late, late ninety, late eighties, early nineties period. Yeah, right around that, right around that time frame. Um, and <laughs> the fact he's getting inducted into the Hall of Fame, and then that that, that kind of is where um, his feud was. I remember uh, with Terry Funk started, and uh, just just the fact that he could do anything with anyone. Um, you know, like I said, he. He he doesn't he doesn't wrestle bad matches. Even being uh, what is he seventy something years old now? I think I know Vince is I think sixty nine or seventy. So Flair has to be. I know Flair is a couple years old, younger than McMahon. So I want to say Flair might be mid or upper sixties. Yeah, and and the fact that I mean he doesn't really you know really get in the ring a whole lot anymore. But uh, just the fact of you know I mean he's still around. He he can't give it up. You know he's. He still makes random appearances here and there, occasionally, being 2015. But uh, yeah, he and and whether it's whether he's just on the mic or whether he's you know back a few years getting into the ring, being 60 plus years old, he he delivers still, you know. Yeah. Then uh, to kind of before we kind of transition out of Jim Crockett Promotions, WCW, and talk other you know WWE and ECW. How do you feel like the production of early NWA WCW pay-per-views compared to the early days of the WWE pay-per-views and the ECW pay-per-views? If you can recall that from watching all all those hours of pay-per-views in the last <laughs> year and a half. Yeah, um, a lot of it, i got to be honest, is kind of a bore just because they're, you know, especially once you reach uh, the mid-90s um, when ECW started. I, was, I had to follow three different uh, organizations um, you know, at, at, uh, through a lot of that, there's three pay-per-views in a month for a lot of those months. And, um, <laughs> yeah, uh, but anyways, the production value of, I honestly thought WWE or WWF at that time was always had the best. I don't know what it was exactly. I, I, I think they just, the camera work was always good. Um, the lighting, it was just always nice and bright. You know, you, you, you could see everything where WCW, especially when they aired like Thunder and stuff, it was, it was really dark. It was kind of, the quality just wasn't there. I kind of felt like I was watching like a college, uh, a college team of, you know, kids from the nineties try to, try to, you know, um, record something for like a class project almost, um, for for shows like say Thunder and whatnot, um, I don't know. I, I the announced team as well. Uh, I I'd say would kind of go with the production. WC or WWE was always on top of that as well. I think they were always number one. Um, I I just I don't know. They all eventually got better. Obviously, uh, ECW didn't have the finances um, to have a great production, but they didn't need it. They had such a cult cult following that uh, you know and and the stuff that they brought they didn't need quality and, and Heyman knew that and so did the rest of the guys working in ECW that hardly got paid but um you know they, they, they knew they had something special so they they were there, there were certain things with ECW that you can look past uh, as far as um, the quality of uh, production and whatnot because they still delivered um, something unique then you know? who I know you haven't really got watched, got into like the Monday Night Wars eras of Nitros and Raza, because since I know you want to, um, yeah, hurry and get done with the pay per views first. But who do you during the at least during the pay per views wise, who do you feel like had the best television production 
during the height of the Monday Night War era? I'd still have to go with WWE, WWF, um, just because, uh, well, you know, uh, the, to be honest, Nitro and Raw both were were pretty good. I just felt like no matter, I don't, like I said, I can't really quite put my finger on it or pinpoint what it is, but for some reason, WWE always had top-notch uh, production. I, like I said, I don't know if it was like is something as easy as the lighting and the camera work or what it was, but um, WWE to me was always the number one organization as far as production, and for some reason, no one else could ever duplicate it. Well, talk about WWE. What's your thoughts? If you have, if you can remember back then, what, do you have any? Uh, early memories of, or memories of the first early WrestleManias and the first shots that McMahon tried in pay-per-views with WrestleMania 1 through, now oh, 3, 4, 5, the Wrestling mm-hmm. Classic, and Survivor mm-hmm. Series and Summer Slams and the Rumbles. I, you know, when, when Vince uh, did WrestleMania 1, I, this is the reason why WrestleMania 1 and it's not just because it's the first one, but WrestleMania 1 will, will always be one of my favorite WrestleManias of all time, just because, um, obviously, being the first one, they didn't have an outline of previous years to go off of uh, as far as, you know, okay, the main event has to be, you know, the Royal Rumble winner versus whoever uh, is the champ. It doesn't have to be, you know, a title match. They were able to just take a tag team match with a celebrity um, being Mr. T and and run with it. I mean, I mean obviously, Hogan had to carry a lot of that too because it, it was Hogan in 1985 but um, yeah he uh, I, I, I I like what Vince uh, did early on he um, hold, on, hold on a second what what, what, uh, what, what was the question again we'll oh, edit this part out. I know you were kind of talking about uh, Vince and production I don't you were kind of saying that you couldn't put a finger on their why WWE was better for video production, all that. I know uh, I've been listening to, uh, uh, you know, I've mentioned this before to you and on the podcast. I listen to podca- other podcasts at work to well, pass the time to get inspiration for this podcast. And mm-hmm. one podcast I listened to did a three week, 30 WrestleMania review, you know, that they started, I think, in like September of last year when only. Oh, through through WrestleMania 31, and they're talking about from comparing WrestleMania 1 to WrestleMania 2, how much better WrestleMania 2 looked. They had it pinpointed to WWE teaming up with NBC and Dick Ebersole yeah. to yeah. start out with the Saturday Night's Main Event shows. So right. I think I know I in those podcasts that they're talking about how Dick Ebersole had a lot of influence on production that WWF did. In the late 80s, I think obviously it progressed now to 2015 and into the future. So, I guess, uh, what's your thoughts on, I guess, the late 80s WWF pay per views? Yeah, okay, well, yeah, uh, as far as production goes, obviously, WrestleMania 1 was the one out of probably all of theirs that obviously was a little, uh, <laughs> uh, the quality obviously wasn't quite as there as the rest, but I, you know, that was their first shot. So, you know, you got to give them a little bit of slack, I suppose. Um, I, I, their eighties, uh, matches and, and pay-per-views 
I, I, I am a sucker for the 80s. I do like uh, watching old matches with, like, The Sheik and, obviously, Hogan and Macho and all those. Um, great, great stuff. You know, just, I, I love reliving some of that. Um, but uh, they they did a lot of um, cool and unique things. I mean, um, they they based their first few Survivor Series uh, pay-per-views off of, uh, you know, just five-on-five elimination tag, tag matches. And they... Um, they didn't need a title to carry those pay-per-views or to even get sales for those pay-per-views. They, they used their talent and they, and, and, you know, the, the status of those talent. And that, that's what sold those. And it was something unique and fun. The rumble. I mean, that, I mean, where, where did that come from? I mean, you know, that, that, that was kind of out of the blue. That's a match that never yeah, has been seen or heard of before it, that. I think the story goes with that, uh, Patterson Pat Patterson had that idea of doing like a battle royal, but instead of having who you know the X number of guys all in the ring at the same time, why not start with two? Then after uh, you know set pretty you know set set interval, then ninety seconds a minute, you know two minutes whatever whatever, yeah, whatever spots gets hit in the ring, then <laughs> set out the next guy and go from there. So I think that's where it started was in the minds of Pat Patterson. I, for some reason, I always thought it was uh, Howard Finkel. I thought I heard it was Finkel, but yeah, you're, yeah well, either way. Finkel and Patterson both, I've heard credited to coming up with the idea, so let's just say yeah. both of them together <laughs> came up with it. Yeah, it, I'm, I'm sure, yeah, so, um, but no, they, what's that? Oh, go ahead, sorry. Oh, I was, was going to say, you know, um, I, they, they, so, you know, when they first started coming out with, uh, you know, their first four major um, pay-per-views being, you know, WrestleMania, SummerSlam, Royal Rumble, and Survivor Series. Um, they, each one, I, I like, I'm, I'm also a sucker for SummerSlams. I just, for some reason, they just always do SummerSlam good, you know. It, it, SummerSlam has always been a solid pay-per-view almost every year. I guess I'm kind of jaded on the last uh, probably 10 years or so because of how wrestling has changed, but... Um, but for the first, you know, 20 SummerSlams, uh, they just, they, they take, they, they know how to utilize their top talent, or at least they did. <laughs> and, um, you know, I'm, I'm thinking of a lot of uh, big-time feuds at SummerSlam, uh, like some of the earlier, earlier SummerSlams. You had um, uh, some big moments, like in the IC title division, even at SummerSlam and some of the earlier ones. You know, Honky, what was it? I believe it was... Uh, uh, honky, honky lost the title the, of the Warrior in like eight seconds. And yeah. I think in 91, Perfect and Mr. Perfect and Bret Hart had an awesome IC oh, title match. That was good. I, yeah, that was a good one. I was That's a classic. I, see, the, the, these, are the, these are the things that I miss about what wrestling is today, honestly. I, I'm still a huge fan, don't get me wrong, but you can't, you can't recreate some of that stuff. Yeah, I don't know. No, I remember what what you were getting at with the first WrestleMania, like all oh, five minutes ago, that mm-hmm. you were talking about how first the first WrestleMania, you know, they didn't have a blueprint on what fans expect. You know, the fans expect the WWE title match to be the absolute last match and last five years on the internet. People been shedding on Cena versus Rock and <laughs> that WrestleMania twenty eight and not for the WWE title then. 
WrestleMania 29. They do it again, but for the WWE title, screw them. CM Punk should be in it. Lottie, Lottie freaking da. So mm-hmm. I think that's what the train you were, train you were on, like, like I said, about five minutes ago with the first WrestleMania. If you want to yeah. get back on it and ride that track. <laughs> um, yeah, like uh, the first the first few WrestleManias were great. Um, you know, like, like I said, they, they just took what they had and they, and they, um, just really made money with it. You know, they didn't like, like, like we were saying, they didn't need titles. I mean, granted King Kong Bundy and Hogan for the title of the cage at WrestleMania two. I mean, it did eventually gradually turn out to have, you know, the main title be their, uh, or, you know, the, the heavyweight titles, um, the great math, had, yeah, yeah, headline headline the manias over time, but, um, yeah, you know, they there's a lot of times where, even even a lot of the undercards, you know, uh, when when the IC title meant a little more back in the day, you know, Steamboat and Savage at three at WrestleMania three, you know, um, I mean, th- to this day, people still talk about that. That was almost thirty years ago, yeah, you know, yeah. and how many how many how many um within the last 10 years, how many intercontinental title matches do people still talk about today? You know what I mean? Because like I said, that was 30 years ago, but you, you can't tell me there's a hope in a whole lot of, you know, super outstanding, uh, intercontinental title matches in the last even 15 years, I guess, you know, yeah. since the two thousands. And just because WrestleMania is the wrestling Super Bowl, uh, <laughs> can you, um, uh, I know it's probably hard for you to, pick since it's all a blur and everything but can you pick your favorite wrestlemania play-by-play man in your favorite wrestlemania color commentator as far as uh wrestlemania or even just wwe goes in general um i've had two sets of of commentators that i've really really liked the first set being um anything that vince did with um either bobby heenan and uh um the governor himself, Jesse Ventura. <laughs> um, Ventura was such a good color. I mean, so was Heenan. Heenan was great on color, too. Um, and, and Vince complimented both those two great. Obviously, throughout the years, um, Jim Ross. And uh, and it, I, I was kind of surprised Lawler, being um, a former wrestler himself, turned out to... Um, one second. My computer just kind of... Yeah, that's fine. Okay. I know you were talking about you know Lawler. I think you're gonna get to the point that you feel like Lawler. You know, as long as he's been wrestling, he's how he's known nowadays as that color commentator that's been around forever. Yeah, um, how many people under the age of probably 15 these days can ever recall a sing? I mean, well, besides you know Lawler versus Cole or you know whatever, you know whatever kind of throwaway matches. What I consider you know to be filler. Um, uh, gimmick matches, I guess. Um, you know, how many people can say, "Oh yeah, Lawler back in you know in Memphis and, and all of his what thirty plus titles or whatever he's held." You know, um, how many people did the younger generations these days watching us? How many people remember that or even know anything about it? Let alone, you know, they only know Lawler as as a commentator. But that just shows that just gives uh, Lawler credibility for how good he is on on the stick too, you know, or not just, you know, on the mic, you know. Yeah. I know, you know, for me, it probably has to be a mix of 
Gorilla and Ventura, or oh, Gor- yes. Gorilla and Bobby, and then I think Vince and Ventura were great. Mm-hmm. Then I'll see in a later day is Jim Ross and Jerry Lawler. But if I can cherry pick anybody, I would love to hear a three man team of Jim Ross, Tony Schiavone, and Jesse Ventura. That would be a very interesting crew. I think that would, if 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 history would have been a little differently, and 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 WWE was able to um, to have done that, or even uh, WCW, WCW had all three of them at one point too. Um, I don't believe at the same time. But, but anyways, their paths crossed in WCW right around the same time in '93 ish, I believe. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, I remember they got rid of uh, Jim Ross because um, something about they didn't think uh, he sounded too southern. If I remember, if my memory yeah. serves me correctly, yeah, something like that. They didn't want a a, a commentator having uh, his own gimmick, if you will. Um, and then W or then WWE took that ball and ran with it, obviously, with because uh, <laughs> everyone remembers Jr. as the guy in the you know black cowboy hat, so. Yeah. And think of it. I know you kind of were mentioning it. It mentioned it earlier. I feel like the, the WWE fell into a slump in 2002 to 2005 ish. You know, mm-hmm. surely a couple years after WCW and ECW was bought and brought in in 2001. Do mm-hmm. you did you notice any changes in WWE pay per views after WrestleMania 17 and after Survivor Series 2001 were? The alliance was finally finished and defeated. Well, that that was that that period of time was kind of uh, I don't know. I, I didn't necessarily care for that period either. Um, you know, a lot, for a while there, they had what like a dozen different titles because they tried to incorporate yeah. a lot of the WCW titles, and then eventually they kind of phased a lot of those out. But um, yeah, they. I the problem was is they didn't have a. Uh, a, a real competition, you know, anymore. So they they were basically just competing with themselves. I mean, look at the ECW that they recreated. Yeah, that you know that yeah that was the shots. Yeah. <laughs> so it's uh <laughs> that that's definitely a good way of putting it. Um, <laughs> uh, no, I just they did have a, a, a few good moments in that time in that time frame, but a lot of it was you know. They were trying to pull a lot of old WCW talent like Scott Steiner, and because um, I'm sure you remember him coming in, yeah, and then Goldberg Nash. And, yeah, yeah, they had the they had the Goldberg and Triple H feud, and and the NWO. They brought NWO in, I think February of 2002, and yeah, because I remember uh, the the poison Vincent yes. Mann hired to, and I remember getting a tape of that No Way Out pay per view from you that. Uh, <laughs> Not going to say what happened, but I watched the pay-per-view later because of you, and I remember watching that pay-per-view when you know, the NWO had an encounter with The Rock backstage, and The Rock mm-hmm. wanted to, or Hogan wanted a picture with The Rock for his son, Nick Hogan, and in the main event where Jericho defended the undisputed title against Austin, the NWO ran in and you know took out Stone Cold for Jericho can win, and straight pinned NWO on, his, on Austin's back and all that. Yeah, I, and you know, and, and then in that time period, you know, you had WrestleMania 18 where they did do a few things right. Uh, you know, yet they built the the Hogan and Rock match correctly. You know, they did a lot with that. The match itself wasn't, in my opinion, 
all that awesome. A lot of the times they were just standing there, you know, <laughs> staring each other down and, and feeding off the crowd. But, um, you know, but then it, it also led to, you know, Scott Hall versus Stone Cold and a lot of other feuds like that, which it, it maybe in a little bit different time period, a few years before, that would have been really cool. So, so some of those matchups, but it come 2001 to 2005, yeah. like you said, it, it, it just... It just wasn't there anymore, you know. Then before we kind of talk about ECW and more of WCW and all that, I have to talk about the summer of 2001. Because, <laughs> I, like I said before, off-air and all that, and on other podcasts, I've brought up many of stories of the summer of 2001, of me coming over, spending the weekend, you know, Mom, Mama D dropping me off on a Friday before work and picking me up after work on a Monday and watching the King of the Ring 2001 pay-per-view with you when, <laughs> when Kurt Angle had you competed know, in two King of the Ring matches, lost the King of the Ring finals to Edge because of Shane McMahon and having an awesome street fight with him. Then in the main event, Booker T ran in and put Stone Cold through announce, the Spanish announcer's table when he was defending the WWF title against Benoit and Jericho. Then next month later, coming over for to watch the Invasion pay-per-view with you, Mm-hmm. Then in November, watching Survivor Series 2001 with you live, and me actually thinking that WWF was going to lose, which was silly looking back at it now. And I remember Vince coming out out at the end with his arms in the air, and I remember asking him for a hug from you, which was completely awkward then, and still completely <laughs> awkward now. And and we were texting each other a little bit last night that I totally, well, I kind of remember some of it, but don't, didn't remember the details you gave me but tell the listeners about the story about the Monday the day after the invasion pay-per-view and the King of the Ring pay-per-view of you and I going with with yeah. with your mom up to the casino up in Hinkley and what we did in the casino's play place yeah I believe it was uh what was the name of that place anyway it doesn't matter anyways um yeah I remember uh <laughs> you and you and I being what we were probably 13 14 years old and uh <laughs> we, we they had a they had a bouncy a bouncy place or you know kind of like a a blow up um what, what would you call it like like one of those castles or yeah that blow, like the blow up castles yeah yeah it was it was something similar like that and we uh found a couple another another kid i think we might have a couple more I at one point at least for sure i can remember at least just that one kid yeah, I remember um, we would get in there, and we were just trying to imitate all the stuff that we were, you know, all the all the stuff that we watched and what we were fans of. And and at one point, I think we made the kid cry. I think we got in trouble and we had to leave or something like that. But that's uh, Dirty Dog Darcy at the age of you know fourteen or so, <laughs> getting kicked out of a <laughs> out of the casino. And I, and I remember too that kid. I think before we got into that, you know the bouncy castle with a mesh cage around it before we beat him up that I remember that I don't know how but we got on the topic of wrestling with, with him and he was asking us okay what happened at the pay-per-view the night before and you, I remember you and I looking at each other smiling and just lying to him you know fibbing him ribbing him and just going off with different stories on just to get him all riled up, riled up right. and give us a laugh all these years later yeah, that was good. Yeah, I remember 
I do. I don't remember exactly what we told him, but I remember we we had such such a blast um, during that summer and and the and what we <laughs> tormented tormenting that poor kid. But uh, <laughs> yeah, that was great. Um, that that you know that was a great summer. Uh, that was the one point in wrestling history. Where, you know, Vince didn't have any more competition. Um, obviously, because he bought them all out. But uh, but he he did he did some amazing stuff with with what he had um, for a while with the um, you know the King of the Ring and the Invasion pay per views and whatnot. The Invasion pay per views. Um, I think the I think, one of the high, I think the highest non WrestleMania pay per view ever bought. I believe still in WWE history. Yeah, I, I do believe so. Didn't it have like six hundred thousand buys or something or like so, that? Something crazy at that time and. And it was what team w- w- team WWF with what Austin, Jericho, Taker, Kane, and Angle. I think or... a- a- Angle against Team Alliance of what uh, WCW champion Booker T. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the Dudley Boys were there. Uh, Ry- yeah, Rhino, and I can't remember who the fifth guy is, but yeah, then yeah, then how Austin turned and all that, and. Mm-hmm. and I know kind of led to that. Kind of eventually led to Survivor Series. But. Yeah, I know that. You know, Vince dropped the ball after after that, and would have been great if he would have, you know, bought out Hall, Nash, Hogan, Flair's, Scott Steiner, Goldberg's contract because I heard, I think through what well, I you know read Death of WCW, the tenth anniversary anniversary version book that we did a series on on that book here on the podcast and I believe in the book they were saying that if Vince would have bought out I think two to three of those contracts he that pay-per-view alone would have paid for those contracts easily oh, yeah. And, oh, yeah. and that's if you would have bought all those guys out and Stain and whoever else I'm forgetting you know if you would have built it up right if you would have ended at Survivor Series like you did or even at WrestleMania 18 drug it out a little bit longer you know, people people would have bought people would have bought those pay per views, and those pay per views would have paid for those contracts. And like you're saying, that was a great summer, not necessarily for the paper, you know, for what the business did, you know, with what Vince tur- what Vince ultimately did with the Alliance invasion, but you know, just the memories of you know, like us hanging out, screwing around, you know, having fun, raising hell, causing chaos, and leaving. And just, you know, the times of, okay, what would happen if, you know, Booker T would take on The Rock or Austin and Goldberg or whatever mm-hmm. else, you know, you know, just think about those dream matchups that with the guys that Vince did bring in against what Vince had at that time, what could have been. Right. And, you know, and that's just it because I remember back in, what, 98 or so, I used to, I'm sure you remember me bugging you about, man, I wish Goldberg and Austin would fight. You know, I yeah. wish they would go at it. I wish, you know, I've been telling you all my old dream matches. And and they missed out on a lot of opportunities. Obviously, no one, well, <laughs> I would still, I, to this day, I would still want to see Goldberg versus Austin go because, I mean, that's that's the 12-year-old in me that wants to see yeah. that still. But, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, to this day, that that wouldn't draw like it would have back in back even two thousand one or well, ninety eight. Yeah, if, if they would have, you know, Vince would have bought out Goldberg's contract. You know, instead of put, you know, you know, I guess I can understand putting Dudley Boys and 
know, Rhino in the, the inaugural brawl match for the main event of Invasion, but, you know, put in, you know, put in Goldberg, too, against Austin. That was, like I said, that was the ultimate match that everybody wanted to see, you know, it was Goldberg mm-hmm. and Austin, who would fight each other. It was it, Goldberg a rip off of, off of Austin because his trunks and his hair, bald head, and goatee, and, like, who cares? Right, and and especially um, once Goldberg's streak got to you know over a hundred, everyone's or yeah about a hundred, hundred and fifty ish, somewhere in there. Everyone's like, man, this guy is hot. You know, he cannot be stopped. And and why if you know if if we could only see Austin uh, try to break that streak, and instead they gave it to Nash, which you know whatever. But we'll talk about here in a little bit. (laughs) Yeah. but yeah, I remember for a while I was like, man, I'd love to see, you know, even I didn't even have a, a true favorite on who I wanted to see back then. Um, but I did want to see Austin find a way to face Goldberg uh, with the streak intact. Um, but, you know, history obviously had other plans. So Yeah. You know, talk about, I guess, history that had other plans. Let's talk about ECW for a little bit. So, so far, since on the network, there's only one ECW pay-per-view that I've watched. It was I think, I think it was you know in March, so like what? Well, I guess around my birthday in March, so like a few weeks after that network launched, me and my buddy watched ECW Russell Blues in '98, where Shane Douglas defended his ECW World Title against Al Snow. Mm-hmm. I guess I wanted to talk about what you touched about it earlier in the podcast, but I guess. What's your thoughts on ECW television production and, I guess, any, any ECW memories that you that you have now from back then? Sure. Um, yeah, actually, uh, ECW, like like I said, their production obviously wasn't great. But um, AJ, uh, I was going to say AJ Styles. I meant uh, to say Joey Styles. <laughs> um, actually, to be honest, um, I, I really feel Styles was really underrated. Um, I... I <laughs> he did kind of have a high voice, you know. Oh my God, you know the, the yeah. old Joey style thing. But uh, I actually uh, really, really liked his commentary personally. Um, uh, you know, I, I I didn't necessarily care for like a lot of the Cyrus stuff, but um, I I just liked the the raw uh, the, the raw feel to everything. I mean, they they were very uncensored, obviously. Um, I'm sure you've seen a lot of yeah. uh, old stuff since the network's come up besides Wrestlepalooza. But, um, yeah, where, you know, and that's the other thing I like about the network is that they don't censor. I'm, I'm not one to be, I don't, I don't want to watch something that's going to be censored and bleeped out all the time because, you know, I, I find it to be kind of annoying. I, I want to see it as, as it was. But anyways, um, yeah, I... Uh, the, the the production wasn't great, but what what guys? I mean, even what what, what the guys did in ECW: Sabu, Taz, uh, Tommy Dreamer. Um, you know, there, there, there's there's plenty others. You know, Landstorm, a few others. You know, um, they they really did some unique stuff. Um, Shane Douglas. You know, even Al Snow in ECW at one point had a, had a nice little following for himself. Yeah, you know, WCW or uh, excuse me, uh, WWE kind of you know, <laughs> kind of trying to capitalize on it with head and all yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and he, he had his small little uh, fans. Yeah. Well, there. sorry to interrupt, but I, I think I may have mentioned this to you either through Facebook or uh, texting each other. But a few years ago, probably be 
two years or so ago. I remember t- you know, telling you about it. I think sending you some pictures that Al Snow came to Elk River, Minnesota, and had a wrestle for independent promotion called the American Wrestling Federation. Mentioned many times before in the podcast, but I can't remember who he fought. It was, I think, a jobber from WCW back in the day. I think his last name was Paradise, and he came out to uh, th- uh, what was it, uh, Paradise City by Guns N' Roses. But <laughs> Al, yeah, Al Snow came out and fought him and had a, you know, that was the main event of the Elk River show. And me and two of my corkers are sitting up in the rat, you know, in the bleachers and all that, and I was yelling out, "We want head, we <laughs> want head!" And there was a little, little boy sitting in front, like a, a row, row two in front of me to my right, and the first time I yelled out, "We want head!" He looked at back at me and gave me a weird look, like, "What the hell is that old guy?" You know that guy talking about "We want head." What is right. head? Like, just wait, little 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 man, you'll find out. Here, when he hit puberty. Right. Yeah, now the network's out. I'm sure he can uh, go relive all of that. Um, you know, uh, and that, that's that's the other thing I like about the network is, you know, for the, the younger crowds, they can kind of study up on all the old history. Like some of us um, older guys like you and I, you know, kind of grew up watching. And even the stuff that came before us, you know, we, you know, because, you know, you and I, we, we, we tried to study our, our wrestling growing up. So. Yeah. Then is there anything from ECW for pay-per-views or matches or guys you would suggest people go out and watch on the WWE Network that they if they haven't yet? <laughs> it's funny you say that because uh, Joey Gertner every every pay-per-view he almost he he opened I think almost every ECW pay-per-view was some <laughs> um. Uh, uncensored uh, lines of it, I I know I was a big Joey Gertner fan just because like I said ECW so raw and uncensored you know um, it, they did a lot of entertaining stuff uh, honestly ECW for me I I can't really say one specific you know match or pay per view I think um, if if anyone wants to just go look up uh, anything in ECW with um, Sabu, you know, their 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 hardcore stuff was obviously what they were known for. But they they also had a lot of um, normal or I know how you would put this normal wrestling. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you, you had you had the uh, the Eddie Guerrero and Dean Malenko classics, you know, and yeah. stuff like that. You yeah, know? Chris Jericho come through, Rey Mysterio, yeah. Chris Benoit. They had those guys come through first. You know, it could be first. American company exposure that they had, and yeah, they had those guys come through before they went to WCW, to WWE, or wherever else. Mm-hmm. Or even you know Austin going from WCW to ECW. You know, yeah, they uh, they just they they did something unique. You know, like obviously Sabu. You know, I I bring him up a lot when I talk about ECW because I'm a big Sabu fan because um. I mean, yeah, a lot of it was, you know, him setting up a ta- or uh, him setting up a chair in the middle of the ring, jumping on that onto the top rope, onto the outside, crashing through a table of whoever's laying on it. You know, so that 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 basically sums up a lot of Sabu's kind of, you know. But but a lot of these guys, you know, him and and a few of the others, you know, they're just all scarred up and battered up because they gave their whole body and everything to to us, you know, the the, the fans and the, and the sport in general. Yeah, then uh. uh well, yeah, talk about something that's unique, I guess, 
was Tony Giovanni and WCW. You know, like I said, I've been you know, kind of going through some Nitros and WCW pay-per-views from 96, and I greatly enjoy 96 Tony Giovanni when he was still motivated, he was still good, and when he still cared. Yeah, um, exactly. I guess over your... I know you might not remember so much because you said everything is a blur, but do you have any memories from rewatching these pay-per-views with Tony Schiavone, or do you, you know what are what were your childhood memories of Tony Schiavone? Well, you know, originally when I was getting into when I was becoming a, a, a bigger fan, I guess I, I could say uh, I, I would say um, I watched a lot more WCW as as a child growing I, up. I remember that. I remember yeah. in elementary, <laughs> middle school that. We we'd come in on Tuesday, and a lot of you guys loved WCW, and I hated that. Yeah, that right. was WWF through and through. But yeah, yeah. continue. Um, yeah, I remember watching because I, I guess at at that age I was WCW was just a more suitable show for my for for, for the age I was. I think, anyways, um, because they they didn't, you know, they didn't do as much racy stuff as WWF did at that time, you know. Anyways, um, Tony, Tony, he was a very good announcer. It, eventually, when they started bringing uh, him and Mike Tanay and then that Mark Madden guy and some of those others, well, back when it was, um, I, I, I will go on the record here and say I've never been a big Mike Tanay fan, to be honest. I always thought he was kind of corny. <laughs> you know he, yeah. he he does he does know his stuff a little bit but he even in impact wrestling i don't know he he's not been one of my favorites personally but um anyways you know in that mark madden guy i always felt he was kind of just ignorant and very just uh i mean i'm sure that might have just been the character wcw had him play as a commentator but either way i it, it, it rubbed me the wrong way i didn't care much for him but tony and um Anything he did with, you know, Bobby Heenan, and th- those two were a great combo in, in in WCW as commentators. Like I said, anything Bobby Heenan did in his whole entire career, whether it was managing or anything he did um, on on color, he uh, he he was perfect. He was flawless every single night. And I don't like I said I rewatched Great American Bash nineteen ninety six recently, and Death DeWode was. <laughs> well, it was Shivani's color commentator, and well, I guess one of the memories besides uh, Kevin Nash and Scott Hall power bombing Bischoff through the table by a stage side was uh, Kevin oh, yeah. Sullivan, Chris Benoit, Falls in anywhere match where they went to the guy's bathroom and Dusty Rhodes yelled out, "Why is he in the woman's bathroom? Get it out of the bathroom!" and "What is he doing in there?" and all that. Yeah. And I loved Dusty Rhodes as. A commentator, and I feel like when we grew up, we only knew Dusty as a color man. And I guess for me, rewatching these WCW pay per views, I love hearing Dusty because he, because because of the comedy comedy he brought in, not able to, I know, you know, pronounce the words, which I'm I can't pronounce a lot of words too, so I can relate to Dusty there. <laughs> we both can relate to Dusty for being bigger guys and being a working man, blue collar guys and that's what Dusty's character was back in the day and I guess you know for me I really can't think of much of a great Dusty Rhodes match because yeah he w- was out of the ring and quit, you know, not really doing much one-off matches when we grew up but 
I love Dusty Rhodes as uh, the color commentator. And I guess, do you have what are your favorite Dusty Rhodes memory, memories from watching WCW back then or rewatching it now? Well, obviously, um, Dusty was was huge, um, you know, globally with everyone, and he he was a big name because of his um, you know. Uh, skills on the stick you know his mic skills his interviews and i wish he would have had more more time um doing more calling a lot more matches on color uh the thing is when we were growing up he a lot of the time if he was in the wrestling organization and in in, in within any of them he was always behind the scenes whether he was you know doing the booking or whatever you know he we me and you and you know our generation didn't really get to see much of Dusty live in the ring, which was kind of kind of a bummer. I mean, he was he, here and there, but um, yeah, it's I, everything as far as Dusty goes. Um, I I I gotta give him props because he always delivered on the the mic. It doesn't matter which. Uh, which match, or, you know, he could have been in a match with any, you know, jobber or anything, but he would make it seem so legit or so, you know, he would sell that match, you know, like, as, uh, on, on, you know what I mean, as far as, oh. as far as being on the mic or whatever, the, the build-up, he always was so good, um, and some of it, he just went just... You know, some of the, you, you you go back and look at some of his classic promos and like, what is he talking about? Yeah, <laughs> but, um, one of my favorite promos that he did was a hard times promo. I think after starting yeah. eighty five, and you know, it gives me chills because he said, you know, there's two. I think he said two outlaws or two badasses, and you know, two, you know, one is dead, John Wayne, and at, when Dusty <laughs> Rhodes died, came out that he also died on the same day. Well, it was on the anniversary of, yeah, when John Wayne died. So I thought it was, so that, that gave me chills. But, yeah, how that promo, Dusty Rhodes was saying, you know, back, you know, you're, you know, this guy came home from work and fired because a computer took his job at, at the mill that he worked at for 20-plus years and all that. And I feel like we can relate that to that now in 2015 since how much technology and computers and such infiltrated everyday life but that was one promo that i loved about dusty and at the end of that promo he was saying that you know i'm gonna be coming for you rick flair in the w in the nwa title is coming home with me daddy and just at the end how after screaming for a few minutes he you know you know just went to his normal voice kind of quiet and yeah i'm gonna take this promo home and give you my one line what this is all about and that's one thing i love about dusty that he can paint a picture with words and how great he was at that you know as commentator like we talked when like what promos what you what you were talking about mm-hmm. and, and to be on i got to be honest with you as a wrestling fan uh i'm almost as much into the the interviews and the promos as I am the actual matches sometimes. Um, you know, a lot of the buildup is is almost more entertaining than the, the actual outcome, you know what I mean? Uh, obviously, that's how you make your big money matches, but um, but yeah, that, that's that, that's the thing about people like Dusty Rhodes uh, and... and uh, He's a big Jake, money talker. 
Exactly. You know, Jake, Jake, uh, the snake, uh, was also another one that, that was perfect with that. He was great with his words and just the psychological, uh, aspect of everything that they did. Even Macho Man, uh, some of his stuff, uh, especially his earlier stuff, if I remember right, um, um, I'm trying to uh, remember some of his classic promos I, now, too. I know, like, in the, I think it was 87-ish, I remember going on YouTube and him, him I think is I think, yeah, right around WrestleMania 3, referring to Ricky Steamboat as a cup of coffee in the big leagues. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, then, I think after he lost that Intercontinental title, Ricky Steamboat, comparing him to a cup of coffee, this is his cup of coffee in the big leagues, and another promo bringing a little package of creamer for a coffee and you know he's saying that he's a cream of the crop and nobody yeah. does it better and and the cream always rises to the top and he will one day recapture the intercontinental title and hulk hogan watch out sucker he's coming for you right <laughs> and you know and and it was those promos and and that's those personalities and, and the way that they you know built you know, those matches that made a lot of those matches. I mean, all those matches were good on their own, too. Don't get me wrong. I mean, that's one reason why I like watching all these pay-per-views, because, you know, um, it's been it's been a fun fun experience. But, uh, but yeah, some of those promos, I mean, they were just classic. I mean, and Mick Foley was another one, especially his ECW promos. Oh, my gosh. Uh, he, uh, <laughs> those were, I, I, some of those old, uh, Foley interviews from ECW too. I still have some chills down my spine when I rewatch. Something that wasn't great, and we've talked about it before, and a lot of people find it that it was the peak of WCW was Starcade 1998, where Kevin Nash ended <laughs> Goldberg's streak and recaptured, or I think no, or could it be the first time? I really don't care because it's Kevin Nash. Nash won the world title from Goldberg. And I guess you mentioned it a little bit, foreshadowed it. You know, you rewatch all the WCW pay-per-views. Could you pinpoint, or if not that particular moment, that time frame being where WCW's peak was and everything else went downhill for WCW after that? Well, growing up, I, I you know... Obviously, we 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 live that live, so I can I can it, it's it's kind of funny because I can rewatch it on the network, but I can also remember as a child the, the kind of feelings I had when I watched uh, um, Goldberg lose live, you know, for the first time, and I, I remember, um, you know, and, and 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 you don't get that same feeling anymore in the network because it was you know almost twenty years ago and, and stuff, and it it has kind of you know. Everyone knows that he lost. Everyone knows it. And and as far as um, WCW's downfall, I think for a while they they put so much into Goldberg as far as um, you know that well they put the title on him. They were really riding that Goldberg wave for a long time. And I think one of the biggest things that they could have done to ultimately cause the demise of WCW was have him lose because everyone paid their money to see Goldberg go in there and win. Uh, but at the same time, they also paid to see that guy finally beat him. But that's that's just it. They really should have let that go. Because after that, after he lost his first one, they still made him look strong a little bit. But but he started losing more. I think Bret Hart uh, beat him. I think there were, what, there's been like five guys in history that's beat him. Triple H and Bret Hart, Kevin Nash, and uh, I'm drawing blanks on a couple others. But... Um, 
yeah, I, I really feel like they 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 put so much in them. I mean, obviously NWO was a draw for for WCW for a while. Um, obviously NWO was huge. They they still are. Everyone still talks about NWO to this day. You can still buy NWO T-shirts on you know online you know stuff like that. Uh, but but they really put so much into Goldberg. He was he was WCW in the late nineties. I would I, I would say in my opinion. And and once they made him lose, that all that momentum was completely gone. And and they just kind of they didn't do anything else with it after that. You know, they didn't start another streak. They didn't. Uh, you know, they, I don't know. It, you, it just they dropped the they dropped the ball when they had Goldberg lose his first match, right? But at the same time, he has to eventually lose. That's uh, you know what I mean. Just the, be, the, just be the matter of what they do with him after he lost. Exactly. They they should have done well anything with him. <laughs> you know, they, at one point he was battling Chronic, which <laughs> you know what I mean. What was it? In, 2000 or 2001, one of the last pay-per-views. You know, he's battling people like that, and and why? You know, what, what's you know, you know what I mean? Like this isn't no one, no one is gonna pay whatever whatever it was in back in 98, 99, 2000, whatever the price of pay-per-views was, 30 bucks or something. No one's gonna pay 30 bucks to see Goldberg just demolish Chronic in three minutes again. You know what I mean? Or or whatever it was. I you know. Um, you know, they, they just kind of they, they, they lost, just... lost their shine with Goldberg, right? And 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 the fact that they invested everything that they had into that streak once once that streak was done, everyone else was like, "Well, I'm tired of watching," uh, you know, Flair because he at that point he was probably entering his fifties and and Macho and everyone else, you know, all the all the old WWF guys going that that switched uh, to. WCW, everyone was just kind of tired with it. It was, it's kind of like how Impact, you know, when when they utilize Hogan, Hogan should be a guy that when you see his name, um, it's an instant sellout within the within that day. You know, that stadium should be packed. You know, and WC, WWE can do that with Hogan because they're the WWE. But but even Impact, you know, they had trouble getting people like Sting and Hogan to fill seats. You know, yeah. and and that's kind of, I I I. I the the late years of WCW, I, I see so much of, of the late WCW um, as what Impact is now today. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and and, I, and that I don't know. I I would like to see Impact be uh, Impact become a uh, a more of a uh, competition for WWE, but I don't think I don't think they ever would. Yeah. I I don't think so anymore. Just because WWE at this point is so huge, I like I said, I would love to see um, Impact, but Impact needs to improve a lot of things, especially their um, their their uh, their booking, really, and 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 just their, their creative team. It's once again, it's it's just more recycled stuff that we've seen over the last few decades. Yeah, but to kind of tie it back in with the outline and all that one. Guy that we had, I like to talk about that. I felt like improved, like whatever company he was in, and pro- improved a lot of storylines and helped build up guys. Was Hot Rod Rowdy Roddy Piper? Oh, absolutely. That he was very, very, very influential back in the '80s in the WWF and 
You know, we talked about him at Starcade '83, being there. You know, first Starcade, he was at the first WrestleMania. You know, he helped build WrestleMania first two, or I guess first three ones. You know, him in the tag match in the mid event of one, facing T, Mr. T in the box match at two, having his retirement match against Adrian Adonis in three, and all that. And mm-hmm. I guess yeah, some of my well, yeah, I want to talk about Roddy Piper because this is the one one of the first podcasts that. I've recorded since Piper passed away about a month ago, sadly enough, and mm-hmm. I have a lot of memories of Piper, some memories, you know, I felt like, you know, kind of talk about he helped build the first few WrestleManias up with whatever he was dealt with. He, fit, he helped build up Hulkamania, was a inf- positive influence for Hogan to help make the Hulkamania as huge as it was in the late 80s, early 90s, and I remember him coming into WCW in 96 and challenging a Hollywood Hogan for you know, a match at Starcade 96. But I guess one of my favorite Piper matches of all time, if not the best Piper match in my opinion, has to be his match against Bret Hart at WrestleMania 8 for the Intercontinental Championship. Oh, yes. And the only other match that people you know, remember that was great from that card was Macho and Flair for the WWF title. Mm-hmm. But I guess what are your favorite memories of Piper and matches and all that? Man, you know, Piper's another one where, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm a big fan of, like, the interviews and all that. Obviously, he did some – everyone still talks about the coconut shot with Snooker, uh, you know, and stuff like that. Um, yeah, I, I I actually enjoyed – this is going to probably surprise you a little bit. I actually really enjoyed the uh, uh, WrestleMania 12 against uh, Goldust. And oh, just yeah, because – you were texting me about that last <laughs> night, and I was thinking, like, okay, I'm excited to talk to Jesse about that on <laughs> on, on the record. You know, yeah. for, the, for the fact that, well, I guess I never watched WrestleMania 12 start to finish. I watched the Iron Man match with Brett and Sean oh, once, and I've noticed with myself that if I'm dead tired or not in a wrestling mood, mood to watch wrestling, I could care less about whatever the hell I'm watching, and yeah. I wasn't that impressed with that, that Iron Man match. I, I, I would love to go back again sometime when I know I got a decent amount of sleep the night before, or I'm actually in the mood to watch wrestling to give that match a second shot. But yeah, please explain to me why that Hollywood <laughs> backlot brawl between <laughs> Roddy Piper and Goldust was one one of your favorite Piper matches. <laughs> You know, it, like I said, I'm laughing because, you know, normally that wouldn't <laughs> be, you know, something on my list because of what it was. But it, it was it, it it was one of those things where it showed that even at that at that time, Piper was also getting older, too. And it showed that, hey, you know, I can still I can still go through us. I mean, and that thing went everywhere. You know, that at one point, what was it? uh he, tried to run down Goldust or something over, uh, tried to run him over with his car or something like that. I just remember, like, Piper Piper was still doing creative things and, um, granted, come, you know, 2000, 2001 in that era, the, the late 90s Attitude Era, all that, you, we, we saw obviously a lot more unique things, but back in, at WrestleMania 12, when people are trying to run each other over, and, you know what I mean, it, it was, it was, to me, it was just very entertaining for that time, um, and, and Piper, he just, I, it's funny, because I, 
you know, like Dean Ambrose nowadays, I see, I, I compare Piper and Dean Ambrose to each other a lot. I just see a lot of similarities. It's, um, I, I think it's uh, partially the interviews, but just their wrestling style to me. Um, like if if Piper was thirty years younger or whatever and, and still around, I, I kind of feel like him and Ambrose would be, you know, you know what I mean. He would be, yeah. you know, I, you know, kind of. We were talking with you know Dusty Rhodes. I, I feel like Piper is another money money promo. Absolutely. He could talk anybody into anything, and you know, I've listened to Piper's podcast. Not so much in the last year or so, but I listened to it. His first couple months run on podcast one where Steve Austin, Jericho, and Jim Ross are at. And he had another podcast run, I think six months or so before that. I, I liked because it was about a two hours, two hours uh, a podcast. And he just, you know, he had a few people on with him. And they just asked him different stories. And he went on about those stories or whatever else and just yeah piper is definitely gonna be gonna be missed and i felt like piper i guess brought upon the schedule that chris jericho is on or similar they know he's gonna be around for a feud or two for a couple pay-per-views and he's gonna be gone again for a while then he comes back when Mm -hmm. when needed to help put this guy over or to fight off of the nwo or get under Hogan's skin again and make him lose more hair or whatever else that <laughs> I enjoyed Piper back then and and nowadays with YouTube and Daily Motion, the WWE network and, and all that I love going back and watch old Piper stuff. Oh absolutely, me too. Um and you know and, and Piper was another one of those where he could have a great match with anyone. It didn't matter who they put him up against. And a lot of that comes with a lot of the interviews and the build-up of certain matches, but um, you know, it, it, it's just who Piper was. And yeah. just because I already finished my first one, I had to open open one up. <laughs> Another middle of yellow for Roddy Piper in his life and times, and for everything he gave to the wrestling business and to us as kids. <laughs> that one is free, Roddy Piper, and somebody that I mentioned that. Piper helped build up was Hulk Hogan. You know that he oh, Hogan yes. built up the WWE in the '80s, built up the W, you know, built up WCW in the '90s. And one thing that everybody was itching for was Hogan's heel turn at the Bash of the Beach, 1996, and joined National Hall and created the New World Order. Um, how, I guess again, if you can remember, how hot was Hogan's heel run in matches for the first? year or so when he turned heel in 96 and i guess what are our hogan memories that you have well that was around the time when you know we were at that age and we were starting to really follow wrestling a lot more and like i said i was a big wcw guy at that time um being you know whatever i was eight or nine ten years old (laughs) um and and i was at that age with the rest of the other kids you know my age it was one of those things when when Hogan turned heel, you did not you did not see it coming. I mean, because he was he drew so much money for so long as a face, and the whole you know say your prayers, eat your vitamins, and blah 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 blah. You know, um, he he just had that such a positive um, thing. Even even when uh, he was trying to steal old uh, Miss Elizabeth from Macho, <laughs> <laughs> in 88, 89, yeah, yeah. right. 
yeah, but even even then, you know, he was still uh, <laughs> such a such a huge positive role model. And um, I personally, yeah, you know, looking back at, at the time, I didn't want to see it happen because we were all so used to Hogan. And then, like I said, I was eight or ten years old, you know, um, uh, you know, seeing Hogan. Um, uh, we, we were just so used to him being that 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 face for so long and and being you know for what 20 20 years or whatever it was um since wrestlement oh yeah 10 10 20 years anyways um and then and then to to to, to see them to see him align himself with the outsiders what yeah. <laughs> you know it was and i remember um at bash at the beach i remember i i, I believe they had like they showed pictures of you know kids crying out in the audience and stuff like yeah, that, and people throwing you know oh, empty the, empty pop bottles and all can, the trash. You know, cans and trash in, and they they shed on it. And that's one thing that WCW did well was not hot shotting the NWO storyline because you know because for the first I think couple months Hogan's Shield turned in really do much for the ratings wise. But right. I think into ninety seven, you know, with the year year plus long storyline build of Sting in Hogan Stark ninety seven, they did something good with with both those characters. Well that and then also that was when Sting started doing his uh his, the the new image, if you will. Yeah. He went from um you know hanging out in the rafters with his full full face paint on and all that. Um yeah, uh, at, looking back at it, honestly, turning Hogan heel for that for that little run he had a, a couple years there, whatever it was, um, was absolutely one of the biggest and best things WCW did. Uh, I, obviously, at that time, we were all completely in shock. But that's that's what makes the money, you know. That that yeah. that's that's what um, that's what we as fans want to eventually see. We want to be shocked. We don't want to predict the same thing over and over again. Yeah, then you know, you know, we kind of talked about a little bit texting last night. We'll talk about it here in a bit too. But I guess what's your thoughts about Hogan as a worker? Because I feel like in the eighties and nineties <laughs> and into early two thousands. Wrestling fans really didn't care about the wrestling, the work, the work rate of a the main event star, you know, with Hogan, Dusty mm-hmm. Rhodes, Kevin Nash. Well, they didn't care so much on if those guys can go twenty five plus minutes and all and have a five star classic from Dave Meltzer or whatever well, else. And it seemed like with the Attitude Era that fans expect expect a. 20-minute match for a main event set a star. They expect their wrestlers to be the technical, the technical great like Ric Flair or Roddy Piper or a Triple H or a Shawn Michaels or you know, guys like that. I guess what's your thoughts about Hogan as a worker back then and I guess in the evolution of, no pun intended, <laughs> with Triple H, but yeah, the evo- in Ric Flair, the evolution of the workers from... Started Kid eighty three to now, right? Well, before I go and touch up on uh, Hogan, um, you know, up until the mid nineties, I want to say ninety six, ninety seven, the in your house with like Shawn Michaels and Mankind, all those, you know, up until about that era, um, a lot of the main events were 
20, at least 15 plus minutes, you know, um, and, and they did put on a good show almost every single time uh, in a lot of those uh, matches. Um, but yeah, it, it come uh, late, late 90s, especially when Goldberg was hot doing his two, three minute long matches, um, building his record at, you know, that we talked about earlier. Uh, yeah, they, a lot of fans, they didn't necessarily care anymore for the actual sport of, or the matches themselves. Um, you know, like, like, like we did in the, in the mid early and early nineties and before, uh, you know, we, we, it was all about, you know, at that time, like for example, Goldberg's streak and, oh man, look, you know, it, it wasn't necessarily about the, the wrestling it was about the drama. Yeah. And is Hogan, Hogan was great on the drama wise, right? Exactly. And as Hogan got older, obviously his matches started getting shorter and shorter too. Um, I guess to be honest, I can't remember an overly long match, you know, if you will, with Hogan ever. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I, I can't. I can't remember any. I mean, unless it was like a tag team or something. Yeah, I can't. Hogan really didn't need to go a long match that, you know, like you said with you know Goldberg, you know the Giant in the early days and Nash, mm. you guys those guys really didn't need to go long. You know, seven, like, yeah, seven, eight minutes was like the average I think for a lot of those matches. Yeah, you know Goldberg, if he hit you with a spear, the tracker was coming next and you're done. Exactly. The giant, you know, you catch with a choke slam, you're done. Nash, exactly. for the most part, catch with a jackknife power bomb, you're done. And you know, with Hogan, <laughs> hit you with a big boot, drop the leg. It's over. That's yeah. one. Th- you know, I guess I know we've we'll talk about it here in a bit, but that's one thing I love going back and watching those older shows because you know some of the main events weren't long, or you know, and all that. That, that Great American Bash '96 main event was Lex Luger, what, co-holder of the tag team titles and the television champion, going against the Giants WCW title, and that match was maybe ten minutes long. You know, oh, yeah. Giant got. Luger and one choke slam. That's all. It, all he needed to do. You know, I watched the Goldberg, uh, Goldberg Hogan match from July '98 from Nitro. That, you know, from the YouTube from YouTube, that was only like a nine minute match or nine minute clip. So the match was seven minutes, and people at the at then live was eating out of Goldberg's and Hogan's hands. Mm-hmm. So I guess you know nowadays I don't think. You know, main event matches had to be 15, 20, 30 minutes long. You know, play. One thing WCW and WWE did great was they played to Hogan's strengths. They put, Absolutely. you know, the right guys against him to, you know, have 10, 15 minute match with Andre the Giant or Ric Flair or Roddy Piper or The Rock or whoever else. Uh, yeah, you know, any of them. Yeah. I guess um, it seems like there's a lot of talk on the internet for the last five, ten years comparing Hulk Hogan to John Cena. <laughs> and yeah. seeing most of Cena's pay-per-view matches as of us recording this podcast, what similarities do you see between Cena and Hogan? Well, I'm sure it's probably because John Cena's still somewhat in his prime, I suppose. He is getting older, but he's still still pretty young, considering. Um, but uh, I, I... The thing about Cena is, at least his matches, <laughs> he doesn't normally have 10-minute-long matches. Um, a lot of the times he does 
do a really you know he he does, he can do some really good storytelling with his matches in the ring you know go 20 30 minutes some some of his uh, I know we talked about this before his uh, matches with Kevin Owens the first one especially was outstanding um, you know and that's just with a guy that no one really knew much about I mean uh, as far as on, just on the, regular WWE fans. Yeah, on the so. main main scenes, yeah, WWE, because yeah. I've heard of Kevin Owens. Yes. Underground scenes in ROH as Kevin Steen and all that. And yes. I've had roommates and friends in college that talked a lot about Kevin Steen, and I should go out and watch his matches. And like I said you know, earlier with when we were second, third, fourth grade with Mr. Peterson, that WCW versus WWF, WWF runs through my blood. You, mm-hmm. People have heard it on this podcast for a year and a half now that I'm loyal to McMahon and whatever he puts out, sadly enough. And when Kevin Owens came to, you know, Raw and the pay per you know, WWE pay per views and fought Cena, I was super excited and super blown away on how great he was for being on the in- Indies all, and all that. And I know we texted a little bit about this last night and. You said that Owens and Cena had three matches. To be honest, I don't remember their third match because after Cena beat <laughs> Owens the first time in the in their second match, I feel like all the steam that Owens had left him. Yeah, well, you know that's kind of the effect Cena's had with almost everyone. <laughs> you know, he uh, Cena's gotten to the level where yeah, he is like Hogan, uh, obviously. Go, go, we'll go back to that for a second. Um, he just Cena is today's Hogan for sure because, like, like we were talking before, um, you have Cena on top and then everyone else. Yeah, and you know? back then it seemed like it was Hogan no. on well, Hogan, Hogan on and top and maybe Andre else. and a couple others. You know, Andre and maybe Macho, but you know, yeah, it was Hogan it was, for sure was number one and. Everyone else, um, yeah, and, and the fact that you know John Cena's doing movies. Well, he's done a few. Um, he's doing movies too, like Hogan did, and I, I'm sure is. To be honest, I really don't remember many, any of Cena's <laughs> movies, so I feel like he is a great Hogan comparison. I, since, well, I love <laughs> Hogan's movies, Suburban Commando, Mister Nanny, No Holds Barred, oh, yes. but those movies suck too. So. <laughs> <laughs> to, to the general public, most of the general public don't really uh, appreciate the movies like say we would because yes. you know. Um, but yeah, you're you're right. Um, but Cena's Cena's movies, I've honestly not been a big fan of either. But you know, um, I think it might just because I'm so anti John Cena like everyone else. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I do feel like. Uh, he is today's Hulk Hogan. It, it, it just, and I think his name over time. I mean, look at, look at all the different um, parody videos and all these other um, things like that you just stumble across on Facebook or, or other things that on the, on the internet where um, John Cena's face is on everything and making fun of you know everything or whatever. Um, oh. They 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 use him now. Um, to reference to wrestling, then oh, you know instead of anyone else, they they use John Cena because everyone has heard of him. Everyone, I mean, yeah. um, just like Hogan, everyone's heard of Hogan. Now, you know the the thing is about you know, the only thing 
is about Hogan and Cena is Cena at least now has the help of the internet and everything else. Where Hogan back in the eighties, he didn't have the internet to, to to boom as huge as he became. He you know he he had to do it all by actually you know wrestling and and going to Saturday Night Live, going to make TV appearances and all that. Exactly. I don't see us doing that too, but yeah, oh, absolutely. Like you said, it's a lot easier now in Cena in the two thousand five plus than Hogan did in, in 85 plus. Exactly. Um, yeah, and so I, I, I honestly feel like give another, I don't know, 10 years or so, Cena might, especially with, uh, you know, the younger generations, um, Cena might actually be bigger than Hulk Hogan uh, eventually um, because, like, just in time, you know, you're going to get more and more of these younger fans growing up, and they're not going to know anything about Hogan because, I mean, unless you go watch that on the network or something like that or, you know, do some research on your own, um, you're not going to know much about Hogan. I guess it's kind of like our generation with Bruno San Martino. We really That's, don't know much about Bruno San Martino, and he was absolutely ba- ba- he was the Hulk Hogan in his time. Yeah, that. that um, and honestly, that's why Bruno was one of my top favorites too. Um, obviously, we were both too young to watch any of that live, <laughs> but uh, or to go any into any of those shows because we weren't even alive. But uh, but yeah, um, Bruno's run with the title what was it uh, seven years? Yeah, I think the seven years for the first run, and I think four years for the second run. Yeah, so yeah, I don't, I off the top of my head, I don't remember the months or the days or anything like that. But yeah. Um, that that was impressive. Even even back then, I know they didn't defend it quite as often like they do these days. I well, mean, they defend it almost. I know hearing interviews with Bruno, it sounded like that he worked hell of a lot harder than guys do now. That sounded like that he he like to, I guess towards you know especially with the second run that he refused to unify the WWF title with the NWA title because he wanted Sundays off to spend. Sundays with his wife and kids, yeah. Uh, and if you would have unified the two titles, he would have got maybe two days off a month, and that's if he's lucky. Yeah. And he refused that. He wanted you know one day out, you know one day off a week, and that's it. But I know he wrestled a hell of a lot back back in his time. And granted, you know times have changed. You know things may have been a lot slower in his time, but you know wrestling was still hard on the body back in. 60s oh, and 70s with Bruno as it is today. Absolutely, yeah, um, and that's that's just it. Uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying he he didn't work, you know, more, you know, like like they do nowadays. I, I mean, they have so many house shows nowadays too that you know these guys wrestle at least six nights a week. Um, because you know they got all these other small shows they got to go do go and do too, but yeah, I, know, I know Bruno did that too. But I don't think, um, if my memory serves me correctly, with what I've researched on Bruno and seen and studied, uh, I, I don't believe he still defended the title quite as often. Yeah. Which you know, because, I mean, or, or, or at least if he did um, at some of the smaller shows, you knew he was going to retain. Yeah. Anyways, you know, it was it, it was kind of like uh, that that Japanese uh, program that the network um, uh, oh, put on oh, the, the, beast, the, the Beast in the East program. Yes, yeah, that one with uh, with him versus Kofi. Obviously, you know Kofi's gonna lose. Oh, you know. against Brock. Yeah. 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 
Okay. And, you know, yeah. and I watch that. And it, I, th- I think that's where I, th- I, I kind of feel like, you know, but that that's with any typical uh, champion nowadays. I mean, look at, you know, even with Seth Rollins, if, if, if he's defending his title on some random raw against, uh, I, Kofi Kingston. Yeah. Yeah. Kofi Kingston, any of them. Um, uh, Kofi's, Kofi has like a 3% chance of probably winning yeah. that match because every once in a while they'll do that on a raw, but you know, uh, they'll yeah. drop a title, but yeah, no, um, you, you just know. Yeah. That. And kind of tie it back in with the outline and all that. What conditions do you feel that has to be there to turn, to turn John Cena heel like Hogan did in the summer of 96? <laughs> you know, I, I've thought about that a lot and, just, I, I can't say it's not going to happen, but as much as Vince has invested, I mean, granted, they did that with Hogan, too, where you, you never saw it coming with Hogan because he made so much money as you know, for, for wrestling in general as, as a face for so long. But And that's what Cena's doing now, too. But, but I don't know. I think they just, uh, with, with all the males basically booing, Cena, all the building and all the women and children uh, celebrating Cena everywhere he goes with everything he does. Um, I do you feel like he is the modern equivalent to Hogan being a heel? Yeah, I, I yeah I could I would I would say so. I just um, it, it, it's I just a different would, different beast, so to say, from '96 yeah. to today. Yeah, um, yeah, because it's been twenty years, you know, uh, just about, and uh, I, I do think that I could see it happening. I just don't see it happening real soon. It just, I guess, the way it has to be, like it did with Hogan in '96. It just has to be something that we don't see. Yeah, it's it, and it's going to come as a. It's going to be a huge shock. It's going to be one of those that's you know. WrestleMania size, you know, surprise. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I guess something um, that's. WrestleMania surprise to kind of get off of Hogan and Cena is Jim Ross. Yeah, you know, we've talked about him before that he was the voice of the WWE when we grow up. I guess what what's what what about Jim Ross touches your heart when he's on play by play? You know, he's just really passionate. I mean, I know I know he's known for his, you know, one-liners if you will, you know, his uh uh, government mule and um, good God Almighty, he's broken in half. Yeah, you know all those uh, slobber knocker kind of, kind of things. Um, but he, you can tell that he has always enjoyed doing what he does, and uh, he's he's got like I said, he's got that passion. You know, um, he he wasn't ever you know corny like 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 I said earlier with Mike Tenay or something. Um, you know, kind of nerdy, like, he, he, he just, and, and he was good, and he was descriptive, and just, he, he was, he is probably the perfect um, play, play-by-play guy that you can have for any sport, probably. Yeah, because, yeah, like I said, he had the knowledge, he knew what yeah. words to use, and all that, and I, you know, love, you know, I guess yeah, we talked about the summer of 2001 before, and Hearing Jim Ross and Paul Heyman as his color guy has you know them together in WWF, and I know they had a stint together in WCW too, and 
you know, those times have a heart, you know, a spot in my heart, you know, like we said, you know, the fun times in summer of 2001 with us hanging out, beating up other kids, the <laughs> play cast, what Jim Ross has a place in my heart, like you said, you know, his wording, his knowledge, his, his passion was great, and I know wrestling nowadays is completely different in 2015 as it was in the late 90s when we grew up with the Attitude Era, but and I wish that Michael Cole or, or whoever else WWE is going to place as the voice of the WWE for a generation, I wish they would have the passion and all that that Jim Ross did back when he was a play-by-play man when he was at his peak. Yeah, and honestly, it took me probably... Well, Cole's been out. Cole's been around for almost twenty years. It probably took me fifteen years, honestly, to warm up to having Cole be the new. Just because I, I honestly always, I never cared much for Cole, especially when he was, you know, exclusively on SmackDown and yeah. stuff like that back in the day. I, I was like, oh, this, he's kind of, he, in a way, he kind of reminded me of of another Mike Tanay. He was kind of, kind of nerdy, kind of this grindy little guy that, you know, had a high pitched voice, kind of just. I don't want to listen to Michael Cole. Yeah. And, you know, his cruddy commentary back from 2004 or whatever it was. Um, <laughs> you know, I just, uh, I didn't, I didn't necessarily care much for, for Cole. Uh, um, nowadays, I, I can tell, obviously, Cole's passionate about the business. He does do a lot of work and he is a very busy guy for, for WWE. But, the, but I just, a lot of the times in, in some of his matches, he doesn't, I don't, I don't necessarily feel, um, feel that all the time in in a lot of his matches when he when he when he does play by play like like you could with with Ross a lot of the time but uh, but also to add to that um Jim Ross also uh I, I I guess I heard he never wanted to know a lot of the outcomes so he I think he wanted to be just as surprised most of the time yeah, as and most I, of the fans I think I heard that too I think I heard that about Jerry Lawler I think Jim Ross, with what he the role he played in, in the office, I think he may have known who's going to go over, but I don't think, like you said, I don't think he knew what the finish was necessarily going to be. Yeah, and, and that's one thing I I think I loved about Jim Ross. If he knew the finish, he knew Stone Cold is going to be mankind at this raw in the main yeah. event or whatever, but he didn't know when the stunner is going to come or how the final sequence that would lead to the stunner or. Whatever or, you, or you see a surprise three count come on nowhere and be oh my god he got him he got him or whatever he, you yeah. know he and you could tell he was actually something or at least he seemed like he was really genuinely uh, surprised you know like he, he was actually getting into it like oh I can't believe it's that that was it oh my gosh you know or whatever yeah. you know and I guess I know we've talked about it some uh, personally you know through social media or texting or whatnot but what ways do you feel the WWE pay-per-views have changed since they went quote-unquote exclusively onto the network? Oh, man. You know, I don't know. I I feel like they have decided to um, they're more um, how do I say this? I, I think now that they know that these they got people like you and I subscribing every single month um, to these things that they're they're experimenting more 
You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, because they don't have to worry about uh, the the number of buys because they they already know what you know. They got a million plus subscribers and they know that the money's there. They know that they don't have to. Um, you know, like like we were talking before about uh, what that that cell match with Rollins and, oh, and Ambrose. Rollins Ambrose, yeah. You know, um, there no 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 main title match. I mean, uh, no. Uh, Brock you know, big, was Brock was the champ and he was gone that. They, but we were talking off air that people, it's like at that time, people, the internet community would have crapped on Rollins, or not Rollins, Orton and Cena main eventing that Hell in a Cell pay per view and all that. And they would rather see Ambrose and Rollins get a chance at the main event and see what, see what they have. Yeah, exactly. And we're, you know, now they know what kind of subscribers that they have and everything. They, they still go all out and, and make great WrestleManias. I feel like they've done uh, an above-average job with the last couple of WrestleManias, especially with the first um, exclusive network WrestleMania with uh, well, thirty. Yeah, thirty with um, Taker and, and Brock. Um, the fact that they actually, you know, the first pay-per-view of the network era, if you will, um, and they have Undertaker drop the streak to Brock like. And then Daniel Bryan having an awesome match with Triple H for the first match, then going on and defeating Orton, Orton and Batista for the world title. Mm-hmm. Yep. And um, so, I mean, they, they do, they have done a lot of good things. Um, and it's coming to the point, well, especially now that Rollins has the title, where they're starting to have him defended every pay-per-view. Um, not like they did for most of the first year that they were exclusive on the network but because um, Brock just came around every what three four months or something to hit the four major pay-per-views basically and yeah. that was it um, but uh, yeah uh, they have they have changed um, I I don't know I, I feel like they've gotten slightly better over the last you know, say, okay, let's say five years ago or even eight, ten years ago, they had a lot of filler matches for the first hour or so of the, of the show. It was, they built, they tried building, so they spent a little bit of time on Raws and SmackDowns building up uh, this, this, the angles with uh, some of the smaller uh, matches, the opening matches and whatnot. But um, I, I, I feel like they've, they've definitely improved and the, and the fact that they're incorporate, incorporating the NXT a lot more now um, really because uh, with the network they can put out, out so much more um, product pro- yeah exactly because you can you can watch it anytime you, you, you can you know after work or you know like I do yeah because I know um, we were kind of talking about it before but sorry to interrupt that that's one thing I love about the network nowadays that you know yeah you don't have a set Monday through Friday schedule or set days off like I do and you know since you work at a grocery store and I work pretty much overnights in a warehouse that's like you said it's nice that you can watch whatever watch the shows on demand you know pay-per-views wise or if the network specials that they're starting to do like with the Beast in the East back a month or two back around July on July 4th and they're doing a show, I think, on October 3rd in, at MSG with, I think, uh, Jericho and Owens is one match. And I know Brock's having a match. So far, I think Rupert against Big Show and all that. It's cool that they, they have those, like, house shows 
televised house shows like that once every few months, and you can watch that whenever, especially when they're in Tokyo for July 4th. They, they aired, I think, 5.30 on the East Coast in the morning, so I think 4.30 in a.m. for us here in, in Minnesota and all that. I think you may have been in Michigan at that time, but so it's in the morning, and most people are sleeping at that time, and I'm yeah. tempted to sleep at 4.30, 5 o'clock in the morning, so I'm not going to step an extra two hours to see John Cena and whoever else take it on, Barrett and... Whoever else in a tag match for, <laughs> yeah. and all that, like, screw that crap. But I guess that's, I enjoy that with a network that you're able to watch whatever, whenever you want. Exactly. And and the fact that, you know, if you want to go watch the buildup of a certain, say, NXT match or something, um, you know, you can go do that on your own time now. You don't have to necessarily tune in every Monday anymore. I mean, we we try to, but you know, um, you don't you don't necessarily have to anymore. You can eventually go watch a lot of those um, right on the network, and that's that's one of the reasons why I love having the network. And for nine ninety nine, Vince, there you go. I plugged it for you. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, it's 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 a steal, honestly, in my opinion. And one thing uh, I guess to uh, jump in that. I know something that you don't like is what we've been texting about last night, and I'm like, hold off on it, let's get on Skype, let's record this. That wrestling seemed too predictable for you in the last decade or so, that you said that you can roughly predict things, well, 50% of the time, well, what's going to happen, and wrestling isn't the same for you anymore. Um, yeah. Can I talk, talk more about that for me and now for on the record for the listeners? Yeah, um... It, it really has. I think it might just because be because I, I kind of I feel like I understand the business and some of the, the storylines uh, and uh, the creative aspects of a lot of, of, of a lot of things. I, I I had a very good feeling, like for example, that um, when when well, Battleground, the last one with with Brock and and Rollins, I had a feeling that um, I, I didn't necessarily read into a lot of the the happenings outside of the ring because I've been really busy with other you know my personal life stuff. But uh, uh, over the last couple months, but um, I, I I I knew that something was going to happen. I didn't necessarily know it was going to be Taker, um, but I knew that Rollins was going to drop the title. I knew there was going to be some sort of um, so, something was going to happen, and and and. and and not only that, but at WrestleMania uh, 31, when Rollins actually cashed it in, I realized Rollins only has a couple more months left on this contract anyways. They're going to eventually need to drop that title off of Brock, but they're not going to make Brock lose. Well, not, not one, two, not, three, anyways. Not clean. Yeah, yeah exactly. And, and you know that, because that would make him look... That, that would, that would kind of kill everything that they've Been built for him over the last couple, couple years. years. Especially since he defeated... Take your streak at thirty. Yeah, exactly. And then to to come and lose clean uh, at the next year, no. Um, but uh, it, it's kind of like the whole Goldberg aspect that we talked about. You know, he they they killed that streak, and well, you saw what happened there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, um, I I kind of feel like you know I I I remember writing on Facebook uh, a status on my old Facebook account I had. Um, I said something like, oh, watch this. I bet you Rollins catches in tonight. And, uh, I think I mentioned him going over uh, 
Reigns and, and winning the title or something, and that's exactly what happened. Oh. I was like, "Wow, I am I am shocked because you know, like I said, I knew Rollins only had a couple more months left to cash it in because after a year it expires anyways, or whatever. Yeah. I, I, I believe that's what the storyline uh, yeah. says for the. I don't, I don't. We went over texting last night. I did had to bring up a couple different options. Uh, the two were us getting older and wiser and. Mm-hmm. Figuring out the business now, and to the rise of the internet and wrestling newsletters. Guess I you know first. Let's talk about us getting older and understanding the business a lot more. Do you feel like us growing up has played a lot into you being able to figure out what's what most likely will happen? Well, to be honest, it's it's kind of like going back what I said earlier about Impact Wrestling, kind of recycling their their storylines the same thing over and over again um with things that we've seen over the last 20 30 years um yeah i wwe still does that too and i think that's why we can predict or at least i you know i feel like i can predict a lot of that like like i knew taker was going to do do so i i I knew rollins was going to retain not necessarily taker was going to do it but and interfere but um yeah i think it's just a fact that We've been such fans for so long. We know how you know. We you, you just you just know, you know. Yeah. Then uh, I know we were ta- uh, we were talking yesterday through texting about um, about the rise of the internet and wrestling newsletters, and you know, with Dave Meltzer with the Wrestling Observer newsletter and his take partner Brandon Alvarez that with uh, Figure Four Weekly that they you know do stuff together and podcast together and. Wade Keller with Pro Wrestling Torch out of Minnesota, just to plug Minnesota because that's where we're at. Um, I feel like with, you know, that I just, you know I feel like their newsletters and podcasts have became super popular with the rise of the internet in late '90s, early 2000s, and nowadays with the boom of podcasting and people want wanting you know listen to people talk about news, you know, wrestling news with their, their websites and newsletters or old school wrestling with, you know, this podcast and all that. Do you feel like with the boom of the internet and wrestling newsletters also played a factor into, I guess, our interest in pro wrestling, modern pro wrestling kind of went down and in, in wrestling, wrestling becoming more predictable for us? Yeah, slightly. Uh, yeah, I would say it actually played a, a pretty a pretty large role to be honest i mean because for a while there uh, like i said not not the last couple months but uh for a while there i was reading a lot of uh different uh you know rumor rumor websites about um oh you know takers back you know you see photos of undertaker working out and you know you know between wrestlemanias or you know different backstage happenings and whatever going on you know the Alberto Del Rio thing uh, about him getting fired, um, and all that. You know all all the all the uh, backstage drama, if you will. Um, I do feel like that's probably played a big role. But even even like I said, the last few months, um, I feel like I can still predict it, even without reading into a lot of the uh, backstage uh, <laughs> drama and 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 whatnot. I know. To me, I enjoy talking to you about that because of, you know, like you said, you don't listen to, you don't read 
the newsletters from uh, Meltzer or, or Alvarez or Keller or don't listen to really much wrestling podcasts. <laughs> and I, well, I don't necessarily always read their newsletters, but you know, like I said, I, I subscribe to the Wrestling, wrestling Observer website and I pay them like 11 bucks a month to listen to their podcast and I am able you know, to read Meltzer's and Alvarez's uh, newsletters, PDFs, you know, with my subscription, but I, you know, so I kind of know what's going on, you know, that's how I follow modern pro wrestling through their podcast, and I enjoyed talking to guys like you that, you know, it's been a wrestling fan as long as I have, but don't necessarily follow that, and it's fun to talk with you guys to kind of figure out, okay, this is what you're thinking, what's going on, okay, this is what Meltzer's saying, what, what's going on so let's yeah, see let's, see, let's see, right. what, see what actually would happen and you know right. that i love talking to you know you especially since we go way back to like second or third grades so we go back crap damn near 20 years <laughs> 20 years <laughs> now and yeah our friendship's been pretty much centered on pro wrestling and it's fun to you know especially with uh, i guess the boom of the internet to keep in contact with each other to Okay, let's go. What's going on with wrestling nowadays? Okay, did you hear about the NXT shooting that happened last week? Okay, right. no, let's. What if the hell happened or whatever else? It's fun to, I guess, no, fun to keep in contact and all uh, that with pro wrestling. But I guess the ways for, I guess it was, if it wasn't the boom of the internet and wrestling newsletters and podcasts, I don't know if I would be as well connected with the current product as I would be now. Yeah. Um, well, and, and that's just it. Uh, I, and I, I would probably, if, if I had the time in, in my life to be able to um, follow a lot of that closer and to listen to like a lot of other podcasts, because there is just so much of it out there these days, I don't have time for a lot of it anymore. Um, just because, of you know. That life and yeah, because like I said, you know, if it wasn't for my job and able to listen to my iPod or MP3 player with one earbud in, I wouldn't, I wouldn't listen to most of these podcasts out there. You know, I might subscribe, exactly. to, I might subscribe to one or two, just to you know, like their hour or so long that I can kind of listen to stuff. But if it wasn't for my job, I won't, I won't be listening to ninety-eight percent of what I listen to now. Exactly. I mean, and I've tried. I've tried listening to a lot more of uh, Stone Cold's podcast, Jericho's podcast, uh, Jim Ross's. I've tried. I, I I don't even make time for a lot of those anymore. I, I try. I you know I when I get a chance, I'll, I'll go and check out a random. You know, I, I went on my way one time to go listen. Uh, I think it was Jericho who interviewed Chavo about you know the yeah, Benoit. Jericho, yeah. Yeah, I remember because I I'm still and it's been. Once again, it's been another, what, seven, eight, nine years. It's, oh, since Eddie died, it's been, it would be 15, oh, 10 years in November. Yeah, for Eddie. And then, um, but Benoit, what it's he did, what, about seven, eight? eight? Yeah, it's been about like eight that. this past summer, sadly. Yeah, because I think that was 2007. Yeah, but anyways. July, July 07, I think, but whatever, yeah. Yeah, something like that. Um, But yeah, that... Uh, I, I went on my way because, you know, to, to, to listen to stuff like that because I'm still, even though it's been eight years, I still, uh, I'm, I'm just so torn and jaded on the whole Crispin Law uh, story with how that went down. Like, should should I still appreciate, I mean, I, 
should he, should I appreciate him? <laughs> it's for me. I had a tough time too for the first few years separating the man Chris Benoit from the performer yeah, Chris Benoit, and sure. I can't remember what pay per view I watched. It may have been fully loaded two thousand when he, he challenged The Rock for the WWF title, where the awesome last man standing match with Jericho and Triple H happened, or it may have been a WCW pay-per-view from I think sold out 99 where, or 2000 where he won the fake WCW title from Sid that, you know, I can't remember it was one of those two shows, but I rewatched it within like a couple years, I think 09 or so and at that time it was hard for me, me to rewatch that because of what happened and one of my favorite matches was the main event from WrestleMania 20 when with when Benoit won the world title from Triple H in a triple threat match featuring mm-hmm. Shawn Michaels. Yeah. But I guess, yeah, it's interesting to hear interviews with, like, like you said, Chavo and Jericho were those who were Prince Benoit's best friends at a certain point in the business talk about Chris Benoit leading up to that tragedy. Or do, I think they talked about Eddie too a little bit. Leading up to when Chavo first got the, you know, woke up from the hotel, people in Minneapolis say, hey, Eddie's not responding. Please come with us to get in, go into this room to see what, what happened. Like, why isn't he responding to the wake up call? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I just. I don't know. I. It, it, it almost actually hurts to even talk about, you know? Yeah. Because, <laughs> you know, because well, yeah. growing I, up all, all those years watching those kind of guys, and especially both of those two, they were such good performers in the ring. Uh, you know, I know Eddie had his issues with his drugs and whatever. I'm not quite sure the... Do you know what, what um was the real reason what, what happened with he, Eddie? I think he died due, due to a heart attack. I, okay. If memory serves me correctly, he... Because all the drug use that he had and him putting on the, all that muscle during his WWE career because when he was in WCW he was a hell of a lot smaller oh, yeah. and when his muscles grew, his heart grew but his blood veins didn't oh, and sure. it sounded like that because uh, his heart trying to work so much more to pump through you know the body to with his muscles that his veins and his heart couldn't keep up with it anymore and Sock had a heart attack because of previous drug usage. Yeah. Okay, well, that's kind of what I thought, too, but uh, I've heard multiple different things. Oh, you know, overdose and blah, blah, blah. I wasn't quite sure, to be honest, and it's been 10 years. (laughs) I guess, you know, to kind of wrap it up, uh, because of time, uh, what matches should people go out to watch on the network? You know, I talked about the... Jericho Triple H match from Fully Loaded 2000 that I absolutely loved. You know, the Triple H Jericho, or not Triple H, Triple H uh, Michaels and Benoit from WrestleMania 20, or what else, uh, other matches that I love. Um, Michaels and Jericho from No Mercy 2008 from their ladder match for the world title. What other mm-hmm. matches, or I guess those were my matches, but what matches would you suggest people to go out and watch that you either loved as a kid growing up or that you appreciated now rewatching all those pay-per-views since the network came out? 
um, like I said earlier, uh, a couple hours ago when we started this, uh, anything with Flair, honestly, um, it, even even when he was wrestling uh, the names from Japan uh, and and the overseas, when when WCW would throw on, you know, a lot of us American fans didn't know a lot of these Japanese wrestlers in the early '90s that you know they were doing their tournaments and whatever else they were doing back then, and uh, you know, it, like I said, Flair did. Uh, Flair was great with anyone, but besides anything with Flair, um, I would say uh, the first actual ladder match in the the United States, uh, WrestleMania 10. Um, uh, you know what I'm talking about, yeah, uh, Shawn Michaels and, and Ramon. Ramon at Mania 10. Yep, um, I believe that was the first ladder match to take place, or at least on pay per view. Yeah. Um, and that that will always be one of my favorite matches. Like I said, um, if if you are listening and you haven't checked out uh, Macho Man versus Steamboat at WrestleMania three, definitely do that. That's still one of my favorites. But it, for for something recent, honestly, one of the best pay per views, and at least this is what I thought when I saw it live, and I still think it's a it's a top pay per view, um, especially for today's uh, market. <laughs> And stories. Um, I, I, I really actually enjoyed Extreme Rules of 2012. The whole thing, from start to begin, uh, from from start to end, it was every match. Uh, well, just about every match. There's a couple in the beginning. I was like, eh, but <laughs> uh, that every every match was really good. They they all had a very good story and the the performances. Um, what was the main event for that? That card, do you remember offhand? The, yeah, that was uh, Brock versus Cena. Oh, Cena, because that, that would be Brock's return match, okay? Yes. Well, that would be a Chicago street fight with Jericho and Punk for the WWE title. Yep, that was when the, the, the CM drunk, uh, <laughs> the chance and all that, where Jericho was getting in the CM Punk's head. I guess to kind of tie it in with other current stuff, I really, really loved the elimination six-man tag between The Shield and... Evolution, I want to say, oh, yeah. was the uh, bat, no, Battleground think, pay-per-view? I, I, I think it might maybe, but I, I thought it was Payback or yeah, something. Pay, payback sounds right, because I know, yeah, Payback then. Because I know they had a six regular six-man match, take match at Extreme Rules, and the following month it was a six, yeah, six-man elimination, no-holds-barred tag match. That Shield did a, queen, a clean sweep of... Of evolution that I I love so yeah that you know if yeah don't if you guys want to find a one particular match from the current era yeah that's what I would suggest along with what you suggested Jesse about the Extreme Rules 2012 pay per view from start mm-hmm. to finish yeah I mean um and then I, I know you touched up on it earlier too but uh, the Iron Man match at WrestleMania uh, Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart I know you said you you need to. Get, be in the mood and to, I, to have an hour I, to. I want to rewatch it because yeah, I know when I watched it to begin with, well, it would have been a one of Sean's three disc sets that came out, and I wasn't in the, I wasn't feeling it and all that. And I know a lot of people talk highly about that. And I, I only watched it once. I want to say it's probably ten years or so ago, and I didn't like it. So I want to give it another shot, another match. I want to give another shot to that. I don't think it's as high as people talk about is when the matches you talked about from WrestleMania three gorilla between yeah. Randy Savage t- defending the intercontinental heavyweight title against 
Chico Santana. There you go. Yeah. Because yeah, I wasn't really that fond of that match, but I want to give that match a, another try just because yeah, everybody talks highly to, highly about that. And yeah, I just wasn't really that fond of But talk about Iron Man matches. One match I did enjoy that's on the network, which I guess people can go out and see if you really want to, was from the Backlash 2000 pay-per-view when, when Triple H... Uh, I think it was no oh, Judgment Day 2000, where the where Triple H regained the WWF title against The Rock because of The Undertaker. Um, re- refresh uh, my memory a little bit if you can. Uh, some of the uh, undercard of that. I'm trying I, to remember. I don't remember anything about the undercard <laughs> because that Iron Man match I think was on a Triple H. I think Thy Kingdom Come DVD set. I yeah, they didn't have the whole car obviously on that DVD, so oh, I just okay. watched that because once because I had never watched it before, and it was I think Shawn Michaels was a special guest referee at that time, and The Rock was champion that he won the title. I think the pay per view before at Backlash 2000. And whatever else, and that was Undertaker's return as American Badass. Yeah, and all that's... that. And he, I think, <laughs> Tombstone or chokes on Triple H right when, I think, like, it was like one second left, right when the buzzer was going off. And Michael's like, I'm sorry, but you landed that move right when the, before the buzzer went off, so I have to, you know, give Triple H yeah. that, that fall. And because of that, Triple H is the new champion. Yeah, I remember that now. The, the, the disqualification at the last second or whatever. Um, yeah, and uh, I know I could talk about this forever too, but I'm, I'll try to make it short. Um, I, I, I got to go off the record here uh, and, and say biker taker. I, I know some people are very... <laughs> they, I, I, I really wish he would have not left the dead man character when he went and switched to do the biker taker thing, because he, he really has dedicated his whole, most of his career to be that dead man. And, yeah, um, I, I, and to be honest, I enjoyed towards the, I think the 2002 era when he came out with, uh, I think the, the, the crap, I can't remember the theme song that he had, but, or you were going to pay. I think it was a theme song that came out on the anthology set. So whatever things that he had when he was undisputed champion for the month or two or how long he held it, yeah, I enjoy that era of the Undertaker, the the heel biker taker. But I agree, yes. you know, agree with you the overall from start to finish. I'm not a f- big fan of it. Only reason why I enjoyed it is, is to see Undertaker play the Undertaker that isn't the Undertaker. In sense that yeah, right, to right, see right. Undertaker play more of a human character than. Uh, Dead guy. Back when Mark was in WCW, uh, angry, or was mean Mark Cal Calloway as, as a, or, one of the skyscrapers or whatever yeah, else. Before he actually uh, went to Survivor Series. Yes. But um, yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. From start to finish, Biker Taker did have some moments where I, I I did like it, but for the most part, yeah, start to finish. I, I really wish. Sorry to interrupt. Was, sorry to interrupt. Yeah. But I know. It's on the network that Raw where he he defended the undisputed title against Jeff Hardy in a ladder match, and from uh, I think a July 2002 Raw that was amazing and helped put Jeff Hardy on the map as a potential mid event star and a potential WWE champion years down the road. 
Yeah, I, actually, I, I was thinking about that match earlier uh, when we were uh, on this on this uh, podcast earlier. I was thinking about that. I, I don't for some reason it popped in my head earlier. Well, about I, I that guess same that's another, exact match. That's another match people should go to see. Another it, one <laughs> before we go all night is Shane McMahon versus Kurt Angle from King of the Ring 2001 that we talked a little bit about. That was amazing. I was going to say earlier, too, when we were talking about that, I still cringe sometimes when I see <laughs> Shane because he tried, he, he threw him through it, uh, uh, the, those those plate glass things. Yeah. Uh, I remember a, a, us watching. I remember us watching that live and how much I remember us cringing <laughs> when he, he tried to throw him through it and didn't break and Shane threw fell on his head times. on concrete. And I still <laughs> remember the finish where Angle hit a top rope, Angle slam off a board onto, onto Shane for the victory and like, Holy crap! What a match! Did, what a match yeah. we saw! And it was Shane McMahon of all people, yeah. <laughs> you know. Um, yeah, and, and like I said, he he uh, fell on his head because he didn't go through it like two or three times. I remember because he tried to throw him again through a second one, and he didn't do it uh, the first or second time. So, yeah, uh, that that was a good one too. Um, I enjoy a lot of early Kurt Angle. He, they. They pushed him so much when he first came around since his debut. Well, he, with, he, I believe Taz. He no Taz was at R- Rumble 2000. His first match was at Survivor Series 1999 oh. against Sean Stasiak of all people. That's that's right. I remember that now. Yeah. But, I, yeah. Anyways, I, don't, <laughs> I should definitely get you back on again. You know, because of the time and we had so much fun. Uh, to wrap it up, how can people of Mid Event Status Radio reach you on social media? Um, to be honest, over the last couple of years, I've kind of been living under a rock lately. Uh, living, I, on, I, living under Dwayne Johnson? Yeah, uh, no, no. Oh, not that no, one. No. Okay, sorry. Uh, <laughs> no, uh, honestly, um, yeah, uh, I'm, I'm. you can reach me on Facebook. Uh, I also have my own Twitter. Uh, I believe it's uh, Bulldog. Here, let me uh, pull up my uh, telephone and I can... It'll hurt and pull up since I know I follow you on my <laughs> personal account. It's the I know it's uh, X Bulldog X. Yeah, that's it's how to find you on the Twitter machine. <laughs> um, yeah, and then uh, I I honestly try to stay off a lot of that nowadays. I mean, um, I I've, I've been more of a living more of a uh, a private life than I have before. But hey, In words of our former governor, Jesse Ventura, you've been living off the grid. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so yeah, those are two ways to reach Jesse. You guys can listen to Main Event Status Radio at our website, maineventstatus.com or at soundcloud.com slash Radio or on iTunes. Search us out, Main Event Status Radio. Please subscribe, rate us, and review us because we want to beat the Ross report because we're tired of Jim Ross's hashtag saucy attitude. Hope you like that, Jesse. You guys can also reach us out on Facebook, facebook.com slash Radio. And for me, for the podcast, I am on Twitter at DirtyDogMES. That's dog as in D-A-W-G. So DirtyDogMES on the Twitter. For my regular co-host, uh, Beverly Hills, he's on Twitter at Beverly Hills MES. Reach him out there. He's obviously going to be off for a few weeks. People, reach him out there. Say hi. Give him your well wishes. And 
for Just Say McMoney. I'm the Dirty Doc Darcy, also known as Shaggy Gold Member McMoney. Adios, made of enters. That was amazing. You should, get, you should get much more time than anyone else. That is our show. Good night, everybody. That's so good.